What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Welcome to episode 77 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. We're here on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Um, I, the NBA has led us perfectly um, into the NFL season. There really hasn't been much of a lull this summer between the NBA Finals and um, and then the start of training camp for the NFL season. Um, it's They've really done a great job, plus I've been following baseball a lot more. So usually summer is kind of a drag as far as sports goes, like right after the NBA Finals uh, and then to the start of football season, there's kind of just a lull. But like free agency for the NBA was incredible. Tons of star power going to different places. And it really just kept us intrigued and kept us into it for so long that we're already, you know, a month out from like the start of preseason and the regular season starting and training camps are starting this week. So the NBA has done a fantastic job of keeping us engaged. And I don't remember a time within the last 10 years where we really haven't had that much of a break uh, in terms of things to talk about in the sports world. I mean, even the world cup for women had us talking about some things with them winning the world cup. Um, the home run derby I thought was really interesting and I, I loved watching that and I've been more into baseball. I think it's, I, I don't think there's ever been a, there, there, I don't think there's been a lull this summer. Uh, there's never been a dull moment this year in sports and it's going to keep on going as with the starting tra- a start of training camp coming. But um, I want to start the show off today with uh, just reacting some, to some comments from Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr felt that uh, the Anthony Davis trade, him forcing his way out of New Orleans, kind of set a bad precedent for the league, and he feels like it's going to be bad for the league going forward. Um, in a way, I I do kind of agree with that because it kind of gives, it kind of takes away from the integrity of contracts when um, you know players sign these long term deals and then two or three years into it, like they're not on their final year and they try to find a way out of their contract to go to a different team. Um, it kind of takes away from um, the validity of contracts. I think Jalen Rose used that word validity of, of the contract. Um, and yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it is good for the NBA to have these star players trying to force their way out of deals. I think it is one thing if, you know, a players, a star players on the last year of their deal. And they say, Hey, I'm not re-signing anyway. I'm not going to re-sign after this season. Trade me this season. If you want to get value for me, if not, I'm just walking out the door. That's one thing. Cause that's not forcing your way out. That's just saying, Hey, if that's just giving your team an opportunity to get something in return, uh, instead of just letting you walk in free agency. That's fine. I have no problems with that whatsoever. But when players, especially like Paul George, who just signed a an extension with the Oklahoma City Thunder last year, he's entering the second year of his four-year contract, and he requests a trade out of Oklahoma City to go to the Clippers, I have 
some issues with that. Um, now, obviously, players, when they sign these deals, they don't foresee, they don't know what's going to happen in the season following or in the next couple seasons that could change the landscape of where they're at and how they fit on the team and and just the whole outlook of things. Obviously, nobody knows. Nobody can see into the future. No one can predict anything. And I'm sure in hindsight, maybe Paul George would have signed with a different team last year if he knew he was just going to be traded this year. Um, hindsight's always 2020, but um, you know, in general, I'm just not a fan of players who are in the first, second year, third year of their deals not expiring, and they they try to get out of their contracts. Uh, I'm I'm generally not really a, a fan of that. I feel like Kawhi Leonard did the exact opposite when he went to the Clippers. He kind of, he, he was only on a one year deal with them anyways, because of his contract with the Spurs. Um, but you know, he didn't tell them anything. He didn't say, Hey, I'm not coming back this year. Um, trade me to get value for me. And he didn't, and it, he didn't sign a long-term deal. Um, expecting to be traded from the Raptors the following season. Like he didn't do any of that. He kind of did the opposite of what Paul George did. Um, so I, I do kind of agree with Steve Kerr because I think it's bad when players force their way out of contracts that they just recently signed, like they're not in the last year of their deals and, you know, that can be problematic. Um, and it kind of just makes contracts null and void. It gives them no validity, no integrity, no foundation. Um, if players can just easily get out of them, um, but the the other side to this is that teams don't have to make these trades. Like, there's no clause in these contracts that say when a player requests a trade, you have to trade him immediately. The Thunder didn't have to trade Paul George away. You could argue he was their best player. You didn't. You don't have to trade him away. And the Pelicans didn't have to trade Anthony Davis away. Um, the difference with Anthony Davis is he was one year away from his final year on his deal. Um. And he said that he wasn't going to resign. So maybe just the earlier you move him, the better, just to get the monkey off your back. Um, but they didn't have to to move him. They didn't have to trade him. They could have said, hey, you're stuck here for at least two more years. We're going to convince you that you should stay. And that's even more so with Paul George. Like Paul George just signed the deal. And Paul George could say he's he's out. But Sam Presti can be like, I hear you. I understand, Paul. I understand that you may not like the situation and you want to go to a better situation, but let me figure out what's the right move for me, what the right move for this team is, and how I want to build going forward. Because Russell Westbrook and Paul George, maybe that wasn't the best duo in the league, but they were really good, and they were a lot better last year than they were the previous season. Um, and I felt like they were getting better. Now they needed more shooting. They needed some other pieces to fill out the roster, but that's a a whole different point. Um, but I think Sam Presti thought he was building something in Oklahoma city with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. And now that's all completely gone. Um, so on the one hand, Steve Kerr is right. And I do agree with him that players forcing their way out of deals when they're not in their expiring years, uh, it can be bad for the league because it doesn't give contracts any kind of substance. Um, 
But on the other side, teams don't have to make these trades. Um, they don't. They don't have to adhere to the players' requests, um, especially in a guy like Paul George's situation where he had three years left on the deal. He was stuck. He wasn't going anywhere unless he decided to just not play, um, which I don't think he would do. But like, I wish teams would be a little more stern and just say. You're not going anywhere. Unless it was the last year of the deal where they were kind of handicapped, kind of trapped. I would just be like, yo, you're here. Um, a good example of this was Kobe Bryant back in, oh gosh, the, the mid to late 2000s before he had won those two championships. So it would have been around 06, 07. Um, he wanted to trade out of LA. He didn't want, he didn't want to be with the Lakers anymore just because they were in a very, uh, down period and there were several teams he wanted to go to he wanted to go to I think he wanted to go to Phoenix with Steve Nash he talked about the Spurs talked about the Bulls um, and then the Clippers were also on his list and I think the Clippers was probably number one on his list and the Lakers said no we're not we're not sending you across the street to the Clippers um, across basically across the arena to the other locker room we're not we're not doing that um and I wish there was more of that in the league. Um, but I do agree with Steve Kerr that players trying to break away from contracts that they signed. Um, yeah, I think it is bad for the league. Um, and I think that really shows the difference between the NBA and the NFL. Um, and how easy it is to just break out of a contract with a team and go to another team. Um but the one thing you never see in the NBA is players holding out um, because all that money in the NBA, for the most part, is guaranteed. Almost, pretty much all of it's guaranteed. And, you know, players, they'll play because they know they're going to get all of that money, all of that max deal, no matter what. In the NFL, that's not always the case. Um, you're probably uh, an NFL player that's a star is probably going to is going to be guaranteed maybe 70% of what their total contract is valued at. And that's a big difference between that and the NBA. The NBA is pretty much fully guaranteed. And excuse me, phone ringing. Um, and then the NFL is not guaranteed. Um, and so that's why we're seeing a lot of players holding out in the NFL. And we're, we're going to get to those players, some of the most notable players here in a little bit. Um, but the over-unders for the next NBA season came out. They're probably the way too early over-unders just because it's July and the season starts in October. Um, but the over-unders for the 2019-2020 season, um, for looking at them, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, they had the best record in the NBA last year, um, and the best in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, if you're the best in the NBA, you're the best in the East, but I don't know what I'm talking about. But they have them, once again, leading the NBA in win totals at 57. I think that's a solid number. They did lose Brogdon, um, which I don't like because he was a young uh, shooter on the wing who could play some D a little bit. So I didn't like them losing him, but they kept Brooke Lopez. Um, and they actually brought in Kyle Korver as well, which I think is huge to to bring him off the bench and 
space the floor out, hit some threes. I, that's what I said they needed was another shooter, um, and they got exactly that. Um, and I believe I had them as my second best team in the league. So best record in the East and in the league, yeah, makes sense. Um, they have the Clippers at fifty-five and a half. Um, I would probably take for the Bucks. I would take the uh, probably the under because you're not gonna you're probably not gonna get sixty games, sixty wins. Um, I would probably put them at fifty-seven or fifty-six wins. The Clippers are at fifty-five and a half. Um, they're the best team in the league on paper, in my eyes, especially defensively. Um, I'd probably take the under at 55. Uh, the 76ers are at 54 and a half. I would take probably the over at 55. Um, then they have the jazz at 52 and a half. I like them right there in that spot. I'll say 52. So I'll go under. I think the jazz are going to be really underrated this year. They brought in some really nice pieces. Bogdanovich. Mike Conley, um, they're going to be really good, and I, they're a threat in the West. I think they can make it to the West Finals, maybe even the Finals, with just how wide open it is. Um, and they don't really have one like clear-cut superstar. They've just got really, really, really good players, and maybe one of the best starting fives in the NBA. Um, the Nuggets are at fifty-two. They were the second best team in the West last year, but obviously it's a lot more wide open. So um, they may not fall off. I think they'll get better, but um, they may not finish second in the West again. I like them in that spot at 52. The Rockets at 52. I'm not sure about the Rockets. I'm not sure how Russ and James Harden is going to work. Two ball-centric players. Russell Westbrook is going to have to sacrifice the shoot or the point guard position. Um, they're both going to be fighting for triple doubles. Um, like, I, I don't know how that's going to work. I would definitely take the under, probably going to be the mid forties, upper forties over 50 wins. I don't think so. The Lakers at 51 and a half, I think is a little low. Um, I would take the over on this, um, because I think the Lakers are the fourth best team in the league and probably the third best in the West. I would have the Clippers, then actually, I would probably take. I'd probably have them second in the West. Um, I would have Clippers, Lakers, Jazz, um, and then probably the Warriors. And they have the Warriors really far down. I'm not going to go through all 30 teams here, um, just because who cares about some of these teams, um. But, sorry to if you're a fan of a team that's not very good. Um, the Celtics are at 49.5. Yeah, they're not going to be as good as they were last year. Um, Pacers at 48.5. I think that's kind of low. Um, well, actually, no, it's not. Um, I would probably take the under at 48 because they're not going to have Oladipo for over half the year. So, that's actually fair. Um, they have the Warriors at 47 and the Nets at 47. Nets are going to be without KD, so that makes sense. The Warriors are at 47, they'll be without Clay for half a season, but they'll have D'Angelo Russell. I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to make the playoffs and I think they're one of the four best teams in the league. So, um, yeah, 
Um, the Raptors, they saw the Raptors at 45 games um, without Kawhi. I don't know about that. I, they're well coached, but I don't think they're going to win that many games. I would take the under. Um, heat at 43 and a half. I think they're going to be more flashy than anything with Jimmy Butler. They're not going to be great. Um, now I think the Mavs at 41, that's a really nice number. Pelicans at 39, they're going to be young, so they're not going to be great their first year. Um, overall, I don't have much of a problem with these over-unders, except the Warriors, I think should be maybe a little higher, give them a little more credit. And yeah, I think they, I think they did a pretty good job with these over-unders. Um, I like it. The Knicks are at 27. So, yay. Sorry, Knicks fans. The Thunder without Russell Westbrook and Paul George next year and CP3 in the lineup. Their over-under is 31. Probably taking the under on that one. But, yeah. I don't really really hate those over-unders. Those are pretty solid. Um, But now, we can get to those... Notable NFL players who are trying to get new contracts. They're holding out right now. Um, two of them are running backs, and one of them is a wide receiver. Those are the most notable ones to me right now. I don't think I I might be forgetting some other ones. Um, I don't know. But um, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon, and Michael Thomas are all holding out for new deals. Um, the only one that should probably get one right now is Michael Thomas um, because re- receivers are really important in the league. You need one really good receiver um, to be successful in the league. Just look at the Dallas Cowboys last year. They were like three and four without Amari Cooper and they averaged 60 less yards a game and weren't as efficient and Dak wasn't as good. Um, and then with Amari Cooper in the lineup, I think they were like seven and two and, um, you know, they averaged 60, 70 more yards. Dak was a lot more efficient and the team was just better overall. Um, if you just look at that, that just proves to you how important a star wide receiver is in the league. And that's why I think it's critically important that the Saints re-sign Michael Thomas because, I mean, he might be right now the best receiver in football um probably the best young receiver in football and then i would have juju smith schuster right behind amari cooper is there um yeah i i I think they should definitely re-sign michael thomas to a long-term deal before camp before the season starts just because it's really important to have a good receiver in this league man um a lot of people think that Receivers are just icing on the cake. They're just they're just sports cars um, and convertibles that you can't drive in the winter. They're, they're not good in the winter months. But in Michael Thomas's case, he's playing in a dome eight games a year. So he's going to be in a uh, favorable environment during November and December and January. Um, and I think the Saints are still a good enough team to win their division, and they could be hosting playoff games next year um, in that cold weather. So 
I think it's a no-brainer to sign Michael Thomas. Now, if you were a team like the Baltimore Ravens and you had a star wide receiver, maybe you're slightly more hesitant, but I don't think you should be because he's so good and the shelf life of receivers is pretty good for the most part. They can play into their 30s, um, whereas running backs really cannot. The shelf life of a running back is probably seven years. Um and if they play all four seasons in college, they're coming into the league at 22 years old. Seven or eight years, they hit age 30, and they're not the same player. Um, a good example of, of one I like to use, I don't know if you remember the running back. It was a running back for the Falcons years ago, Michael Turner. I always thought he was a beast. Uh, he, I think he was a shorter guy, stocky. He was. I thought he was just really good. And all of a sudden, he hit the age of 30, and it just kind of disappeared. It was almost like, like, you know, the blip in Avengers Endgame when, well, not Endgame, but the first one where, um, in Infinity War where Thanos wiped everyone out. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched Avengers Infinity War. Um, it's been out for a year now. Um, yeah, just kind of blipped everyone out of existence for five years. Not everyone, but half the population. That se- that kind of seems like what happened to Michael Turner. He just kind of hit age 30 and disappeared. Um, and so that's why I think teams are a little more hesitant to give running backs new deals. Um, and especially like in the Dallas Cowboys situation, they drafted two running backs this year. Uh, Tony Pollard out of Memphis, who's a very versatile back, can return uh, the ball, like punt returns, kick returns. One of the best in college football last year. Um, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's got a very Alvin Kamara type uh, skill set. Um, I'm not saying he's as good as Alvin Kamara, but I'm just saying the skill set and what he's able to do Um makes him very valuable and it can make him a very good running back. And then Mike Weber is just your traditional between the tackles running back um, who can bounce it outside occasionally. He's got great speed, great power, um, a little bit injury prone, but he's a solid back as well. I mean, the Cowboys could very easily say, Zeke, we're not paying you. Hold out as long as you want. We'll roll with Tony Pollard and Mike Weber, or maybe even trade Ezekiel Elliott. Um, this, the only thing about that is Ezekiel Elliott is probably the best running back in the league, and he's probably the most unique for this specific reason. It's not that he's a great between-the-tackles running back. It's not that he's great running the football in and outside the tackles. It's not that he's great receiving the ball, which he's pretty good at that as well. It's his pass protection. Um, That's probably the most underrated thing in running backs is how well they're able to protect the passer um, in blitzing situations in the shotgun, um, how you're able to just pick up a linebacker on a blitz, Ezekiel Elliott might be the best at that in the league and the best running back to do that in a while. That's the only reason why I would be slightly hesitant to move off of Ezekiel Elliott um, either by not signing him or trading him away Um, because he's just so good in pass protection along with everything else. Um, Everything else is kind of a given. You know he's going to be good at running between the tackles, catching the football, but the pass protection is just so underrated, and that is so difficult to find in a running back. It really is. Um, now, Melvin Gordon 
Melvin Gordon is like being really aggressive about this contract situation. He feels like, um, I almost said San Diego. He feels like the LA Chargers are going to uh, cave in and they're not budging at all. They said they refuse to pay him right now. Um, and I understand why Melvin Gordon once paid. He had a heck of a year last year. Um, he was really good and he might have been the best running back statistically last year. Um, especially in fantasy football. I forget who had him in fantasy football last year in my league, um, but he just absolutely tore up. Um, I think it was my friend Garrett Moore. G. Moore had him. Um, and he's a Chargers fan, so he loves Melvin Gordon. But, like, it's so hard with running backs because, you know, obviously they want paid because they know their shelf life is is not very long. And so... Obviously, they're going to want to try and earn their money, as much of it as they can. But I mean, it seems like just a revolving door of running backs. It feels like that's what it can. Be, that's what it is, because running backs don't last that long in the league. Um, and if you're a good one, you're, I mean, it's rare to see a really good running back last into their 30s. Like Adrian Peterson, right now is the only anomaly where he's actually been really good in his 30s, and seems like he still has a little bit of juice left. Nowhere near as fast as he used to be, um, but he can still carry a load, shoulder a load, and uh, can run the football pretty well into his, you know, as he's getting closer to his mid-30s. I think he's 33. Um, He's, right now, he's the only exception to that um, reality that running backs kind of slow down at the age of 30. Um, it's really, it's just really tough to negotiate deals with running backs just because they, they don't last that long. Um, and they want to get their money early and they want to get it because, I mean, if you think about it, running backs are responsible a lot of times for 60, 70% of a team's offense. Uh, especially if you're a running back that can, catch the ball out of the backfield uh, and run the football really well, like Ezekiel Elliott, like Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell with the Steelers, not last season because he didn't play, but the season before, he had well over 300 touches um, and maybe even had over 400 touches. His usage rate was so high, responsible for so much of Pittsburgh's offense that it was smart for him to sit out a year because he was able to just save his legs. Uh, I mean, he probably added a, another year or two onto his career just by sitting out a season. Uh, and then some other guys, like Alvin Kamara, is a very high usage guy because he can run the ball really well and um, is maybe the best receiving back in the league outside of Le'Veon. Um, Christian McCaffrey is going to have a really high usage rate. Um, because he, last year, he almost had both 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. He would have accomplished that feat had Cam Newton um, not been injured at the end of the year last year. Um, I mean, it's just, it's really difficult, especially with running backs that are used a lot. Todd Gurley is another big one. I feel like after he signed his his contract last year, his extension, paying him over, what, $15, $16 million. It seemed like he was just done, gassed. 
his usage rate was extremely high. Um, and that's what is very worrisome for teams about running backs and their hesitance to pay them because they know teams are going to want to run running backs into the ground um, to get as much as they can out of them. Um, that's what the Steelers were trying to do with Le'Veon Bell. Um, I think if a, if a running back is coming off of his rookie deal like Zeke is, I think it makes it a little easier to pay him. Um, Melvin Gordon, I think, has been in the league a little longer. Um, but I don't know, man. Michael Thomas, though, definitely deserves his money, and any good receiver in this league, like Amari Cooper, is going to be entering. He's entering a contract year. He's going to want his money, and he deserves it as well. Um, the Cowboys are going to have to figure out what they want to do because they're going to have to pay Leighton Vander Esch in a couple years, Jalen Smith. Um, I mean, they're going to have to pay their offensive line because it's getting a little older. They're going to have to pay Dak. Their corners, their young corners that they have, like they've got a lot of good players to to pay, and not enough money to go around. And they're going to have to figure out what the priority is. Um, and they're going to have to understand history that if you pay a running back till he's age 30, get ready for him to fall off a cliff because it's what happens with 99% of running backs is they just disappear at the age of 30. And so I would be very hesitant if I were the Cowboys and if I were the Chargers to pay both Ezekiel Elliott and Melvin Gordon. Uh, but I want to shift gears to this and... In the NFL, they like to handle their own investigations when it comes to players being suspended and allegations of domestic violence, domestic abuse, things like that. And they're really inconsistent with how they do things because they say they want video evidence for everything, every case that they look at in order to make a determination on what to do. Uh, they want all this, all that, so on and so forth, and it feels like their decisions are just so different case by case. Um, Kareem Hunt, there was a video of him, really, um, I feel like in his video with his, I think it was his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend in a movie theater or something, it seemed like more like he was defending himself from her, and he did make contact with her, I think he did kick her and push her, um, but I think he was trying to keep her off of him. Uh, and he gets suspended, slapped eight games on him. And so he's with the Browns. He's not going to play until midseason. Um, but Tyreek Hill, I think all they had is audio of Tyreek Hill saying that um, he hit his son or something like that. I, I don't know for sure. And I'm not going to, don't quote me because. Um, I'm just kind of going off the dome right now. Um, but supposedly it was just audio of him saying that he did that stuff, like uh, assaulted his son, I, I believe. And like they didn't have any, I don't know if they had any video or not. And then they, he, he walks away with nothing. Now, supposedly I think um, Tyreek Hill paid off the girlfriend that he was talking to about it to keep her quiet. So that way he wouldn't be suspended. And 
he could play and help those Chiefs make a Super Bowl run and keep that one of the most potent offenses in the league. And if that's the case, then the NFL needs to look at that and be like, yo, there's more here to the story than what we saw, and we're going to have to figure it out. Um, I don't know. The NFL is just so inconsistent with their rulings on these kind of cases. Um, like, they suspended Ray Rice basically for life. Uh, it was, I think it was only a year, but no teams wanted him after that because a video showed him just straight up bashing his girlfriend or wife like right in the head, knocked her out cold in an elevator. Obviously, that's suspendable uh, for a long time, but I feel like just case by case, it's inconsistent with what they want to do because um, Kareem Hunt didn't really even look bad and they slapped eight games on him. And then Tyreek Hill's talking about how he beat the crap out of his son and he gets nothing. So I don't, I don't know. It's, this seems inconsistent, but nonetheless, the Chiefs are going to keep Tyreek Hill for right now and, and he's going to be on their team. He's going to be on their roster, presumably at the start of the season. And Patrick Mahomes is going to have, the most electric wide receiver in football on the outside to start the year. Um, which, by the way, I, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to light the world on fire like he did last year. He had 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, He and he was an MVP. I don't think that that's going to happen again. He's going to take a significant step back. He's on the cover of Madden 20, for crying out loud. Um, the only person who can be on the cover of Madden 20 and still be good after the fact, uh, like the season following, is Tom Brady. Because with Antonio Brown last year, yeah, he was still really good, but uh, he had all the falling out with the Steelers. Um, and, you know, it just seems like everyone else kind of just falls off the cliff a little bit. Like Richard Sherman was on a cover, and then he gets really injury prone and now he's not the same player that he once was still a really good corner, but just not the same as he once was. Um, I think when Calvin Johnson was on the cover years ago, he retired. So, um, the, there's definitely a Madden curse and we'll see if this Madden curse, um, puts, puts a spell on Patrick Mahomes. Cause I don't think he's going to be as good. I don't wish injury on anybody. I, I don't want him to get injured or anything, but I just don't think he's going to be as good, as effective, as electric as he was last year. Um, but with the NFL season coming up, I want to get into some record predictions. Um, we're going to start off with the AFC. I think I may have started with the AFC last year. Um We'll go div division at a time. We'll probably just do one division today. Um, and we'll probably start with the AFC North with the Steelers, the Browns, the Ravens, and the Bengals. Um, and we'll go through their schedule and see what we got. So I'm going to write it down as I do it um, so I don't get confused on what's going on here, but 
Starting with the regular season, we're going to have the Steelers and the Patriots week one. So that's going to be a great game. Usually that's not until late late season, but um, the Patriots always start off slow every year. I think they lost to the Lions early this year, so I'm going to give the Steelers the win there. Um, against the Seahawks in week two. Um, Seahawks, I feel like, start off slow as well a lot. Um, plus, I believe, if this is in Seattle, no, it is at the Steelers. So it's going to be um, in Foxborough, or Foxborough, geez, Heinz Field. I'm going to give the win to um, the Steelers. Against the 49ers in week three, that's going to be a W. Week four against the Bengals, that's a W. So 4-0 already for the Steelers. Um, Against the Ravens in week five, I believe they're at home. They are at home, so I'm going to give give them a win again. They're going to be 5-0 to start the year. They probably won't be, but... That's the beauty of predictions, right? Um, And now they're going to take on the Chargers. That'll be in L.A. That's going to be a loss to the Chargers. Um, Dolphins. That's going to be a primetime game. Give the win to the Steelers. The Colts. That's going to be at home. But I like the Colts in this situation. I think the Colts are going to be really good this year. So a loss at the Colts. The Rams. The following week, that's going to be a loss. Rams are just way too talented. Then the Browns. This will be in Cleveland, the first game. I'm going to give them a loss for this one. I think they're going to split with the Browns. Uh, They're taking on the Cardinals. That'll be a win against the Cards. The Bills, that'll be a win. Don't know if you heard my belly there. I'm a little little hungry. A little hungry. Um, The Jets in week 16. Did I miss a Browns game? Yeah, I, I skipped one. I totally skipped. I skipped two games. I skipped the Bengals and the Browns second one. So they're going to beat the Bengals and then they'll beat then they'll lose or then they'll beat the Browns so they'll split. Then they'll beat the Cards, they'll beat the Bills, they'll beat the Jets and then they'll lose to the Ravens. So Looking at that, they're going to have a record of 11-5 and five for the Steelers, which is probably what I would have guessed um, without looking at the schedule and going game by game. So 11-5 and five for the Steelers. Um, and that's what I have them winning in the, the division. I think the Steelers will win the division, so... Um, I don't think the Browns, I think the Browns are mostly hype. I think they're going to be solid. They'll win more games than they'll lose games, but 
the, like the, um, what I'm saying is they'll win more than they'll lose. Um, but they're not going to be world beaters right out the gate. Um, so first game for the Browns, they're going to be taking on the Titans at home. Titans are actually a stingy team, a tough team. They can beat some really good squads. Um, but I'll give the Browns the win in week one. So the Browns, they'll beat the Titans. Week two, they'll play the Jets. I think they beat the Jets. Then they play the Rams in week three. That's going to be a loss. Um, the Ravens in week four. Um, that's going to be a really difficult one. I'm going to give this one to the Ravens because it's in Baltimore. So loss to the Ravens. 49ers. Um, 49ers, I think, are going to be a really good team this year. Um, not good enough to beat the Steelers, but they could give the Browns a tough game. This is going to be a primetime game. I'm not sure if this is a Monday night or what, but um, this is tough. I think I'm going to give this one to the Browns against the 49ers. Seahawks, the following week, that's going to be a loss. Um, Patriots, that'll be a loss. Broncos the follow, uh, the week after. Um, the Broncos, eh, they're okay. Joe Flacco was better than what they've had in years past. Um, their defense is still solid. It's, it's going to be in Denver. That's going to be the difference. I'm going to give them the loss to Denver because they're going to be in the Mile High City. So, yeah, definitely going to go with a loss there. Then they're going to be playing the Bills. That'll be a win against the Bills. Um, then they play the Steelers, and they had them splitting, so it doesn't really matter. I'll just say um, win for the first one. And then the Dolphins, they'll win. Then they'll lose to the Steelers. Bengals, Cardinals, Ravens, Bengals. Um, yeah, I think they'll win both the Bengals games. So win, Bengals. Um, they'll beat the Cardinals, so that's a win against the Cards. Um, they may lose to the Ravens again, but... I'm going to say a win against the Ravens and then a win against the Bengals. So they're going to finish off the year with a uh, 10-6 and six record. I think that's actually pretty solid. That's probably what I would have guessed, maybe around 9-7. and seven. Um, So I like that for them. Moving on now to the... Baltimore Ravens. Um, now I had them splitting with the Ravens, I believe. And I had the Steelers splitting with the Ravens. So they'll split with both of those teams. Um, 
Starting off the year, the Ravens will have the Dolphins. That'll be a win for the Ravens. So win against the Dolphins. Week two against the Cardinals. Give that one to. Um, I'm going to give that one to the Cardinals because I I don't think their defense is as good as it. They got Earl Thomas, but they lost some linebackers. I I don't know if they're going to be as good. Um, so I'm going to give this one to the Cardinals. Against the Chiefs, that's a loss. Loss to the Chiefs. Then against the Browns, um, it's in Baltimore, so I'll give them the win here. Bengals, they'll win. Seahawks, they'll lose. Um, Patriots against the Ravens. It's a prime time. It's in Baltimore. Um, but it's going to be around the middle of the season when this game takes place. Patriots are going to be midseason form. I'll give this one a loss to the Pats. Bengals, they'll win. Not really giving the Bengals any love, am I? Um, the Texans. This is an interesting one. Texans have, uh, they've drafted well on the offensive line. We'll see how good they are. I'm going to give this one to the Texans. That's a loss to the Texans. A loss to the Rams the following week. Um, then I'm probably going to say a loss to the 49ers after that. They'll beat the Bills. They'll probably beat the Jets, I would say. Uh, so. They'll beat the Jets. I lost my train of thought there. Uh, they'll, so they'll lose to the Browns. And then, um, did I already have them playing the Steelers? Did I miss a game? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Yeah, I missed a Steelers game somewhere. Yeah, so I missed one of those Steelers games. I think they're splitting anyways, so... Just write it down at the bottom. Win against the Steelers. And then a loss. Steelers. That puts them at... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Um, I have them... Going 7 and 9. So not great. Um, I don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to be as good. Uh, just because he's a primarily running quarterback, but yeah, seven and nine. I was probably thinking around eight and eight, so that's not bad. Um, but I could see them going nine and seven and having a winning record, but they probably just wouldn't make the wild card or win the division with that. And then last and probably least, 
No offense to Bengals fans, is the Bengals. So let's take a look here at the Bengals. Flip my notepad. The Bengals starting off the season against the Seahawks. That'll be a loss. Um, against the 49ers, that's a loss of the 49ers. They'll probably beat the Bills. I just don't like the Bills. I don't think they're going to be that good. They'll lose to the Steelers. They'll lose to the Cardinals. They'll lose to the Ravens. They'll lose to the Jags. Lose to the Rams. Lose to the Ravens. Raiders. Oh, that's kind of tough because the Raiders kind of have a decent offense or defense. Not really that good. I'll give them a W. I'll give them a W against the Raiders. Why not? Steelers, loss. Uh, Jets. I'll give them a win against the Jets. Browns loss, Patriots loss. And the Dolphins and the Browns, they'll beat the Dolphins. And they'll lose to the Browns. That gives them a record of... Four and twelve. Yikes. Yeah, I'm not high on the Bengals. I'm not hating on them. I'm just not high on them. I just don't think they're that great of a team. I think Andy Dalton has done what he could with that team. They've made some improvements, but in that division, it's gonna be pretty tough. So there you have it. That is my record prediction for the AFC North. The Steelers at 11 and 5, the Browns at 10 and 6, the Ravens at 7 and 9 and the Bengals at 4 and 12. We will continue with record predictions next week. Maybe we'll do two divisions to get all of them in before the season starts. Who knows? But that'll do it for this week's episode, episode 77. Um be sure to subscribe uh, to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud. Um, share this with your friends and coworkers and everybody that you know. School is going to be starting up soon. Yay. Um, so share it with your classmates as well when school starts back up. Um, be sure to follow the show on Twitter, at The Will Ford Show. Follow my Facebook page. You know what to do. And... Uh, I'll see you on the other side in episode 78. It's WFS.